0: Continuing in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, last three, four verses, as we look this morning, and I just agree with that song. Lord, I just want to give you my heart. I just want to worship you and live for you. Amen. Let's stand together as we look at Philippians 1, 27 to 30. We will be in this passage probably for a couple of weeks. Paul continues. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God." For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. That conflict that they saw, him being in prison at uh, Philippi when he came to, to their town. And he's back in prison again. So uh, he, Paul is addressing some of the same issues again and again with them. And uh, getting some of these themes going as we study the book of Philippians. Thank you, Lord. And we want to pray that our love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And that we may approve the things that are excellent. That we may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So now let your words speak to us again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I just continue to pray this prayer because it is a part of becoming what God's will is for me, that I may learn about agape love and the knowledge of Christ and have discernment to know when to, when to love and when to Rely on my knowledge. Grow in the spirits of the righteousness, and et cetera. I hope you're still praying that. I get it out. I'm in my devotions, and, and I'll think, who do I need to pray this for today? And it just different people come to mind. And so I'm praying for you. I want your love to grow. I want your knowledge to grow. I want your discernment to grow in Jesus. Amen. Yes, we, we really want that. Uh, so... Paul is teaching me, and as I'm learning, I'm sharing. In this passage, we're going to look again that Paul is writing his letter to his Christian friends who are living in the Roman colony of Philippi. And so far, we looked at the introduction, and then we've looked at Paul's personal situation where he was in prison, where he faced the option of life and death. That's where we were last week, and Paul said he preferred death. Let me die. Let me go and be with Jesus. That'd be better for me. But he felt like God wanted him to live to accomplish more ministry for Christ and make that fourth missionary journey and uh, come back to Philippi and help them and, and go some other places. So that's where we left last week. In today's passage, Paul transitioned from writing about himself and his, his condition to, to actually writing about the, the Philippians' situation. Paul is now beginning the part of the letter where he is giving pastoral exhortation. Now he's preaching. Now he's getting encouragement. So all of that, which I've been preaching for for eight weeks, is just introducing what he really wants to preach about. Aren't you excited? (laughs) So now we're getting to the point where we're actually going to preach about what Paul wants to preach about. He's just kind of been laying the groundwork for all of these things. These important truths and, and themes. And so many commentators think the theme of Paul's entire letter is presented in this first sentence Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we will be focusing on this important theme in today's message. Paul started with the word only. This is a single Greek word, and literally, if we were to translate it word for word in English, it would mean only, which is why it is translated as only. But in the Greek, it has much more impact like that. It's like Paul is raising his finger, if he was there, and he's saying, listen up, pay attention, this is important. What I'm going to say now is, so he's making a transition from talking about them and and uh, talking about himself and and his desires while he's in prison to get out and and serve the Lord some more, or go to heaven, whichever one. But he says, now wait a minute, this is important. This is what I want you to get out of this letter. Kind of an idea. And so that's what he is saying. What was so important? Well, Paul felt that it was essential that the Philippians live and behave in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's pretty important, isn't it? The key word to understanding this theme is the word conduct or conduct, whether you say that in the noun or the verb. And older translations have the phrase, let your conversation be worthy of the gospel of Christ. But he's talking more than just the words that you say. The New King James and the NIV, some of the newer translations have, let your conduct or, or uh, conduct yourselves. But Paul is talking more than just the way we act. So it's not just what we say or what we do. He's talking about everything. And normally when Paul would write about the Christian lifestyle, in the other letters he used the Greek word meaning walk. In fact, I was looking him up 12 times in his epistles he used the word walk. walk in Christ, walk in faith, walk in properly, walk, you know And so he would when he would use the word, uh, this is the way you ought to live, live according to the gospel of Christ, he would say walk according to the gospel of Christ, right? We've talked to this phrase, it, it's not your talk, it's your walk that's so important. So it's more than conversation, it's more than conduct. But here he doesn't use the word walk. Only in Philippians does he use a different word. And he uses it twice. His word is citizenship. Or citizen. Live out your citizenship. Paul was writing, pay attention, he's getting his finger up, <laughs> let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why did he use the word citizenship? It's unique to the letter to the Philippians. And I've told you before that Paul uses specific words when he writes. And, and just the study of Philippians, this First chapter lets me know that he's picking certain words. We talked about saints. We talked about being uh, slaves. We talked about specific words all the way through here. But he, he chose these. Why did he choose the word citizenship? How does it apply to the Philippian Christians? How does citizenship apply to me and, and you today? The answers are the focus of today's sermon. And yes, as Tom pointed out to his Sunday school class, there's five points to today's sermon. Thank you, Tom. That means nothing. We're going to be here for two hours anyway. Well, there's five points or three points. All right, so we look at citizenship. Number one, citizenship means a lot of things, and you probably could fill in some of those blanks ahead of time, except you don't know what order I'm going to do them in. So citizenship means belonging. Now, Paul chose the word citizenship, and and this just really spoke to me. And he used it exclusively to this letter, this this epistle to the Philippians, for a specific reason. And I'm going to kind of give you the background and whatever, and and some of you are going to start drawing conclusions as I go, because your mind's racing ahead. Now, first, Paul was in Rome when he wrote this letter. Paul was a Roman citizen. Now, having been born in Tarshish, that made him a Roman citizen. He wasn't born in the land of Israel. However, he was a Jew by nationality. His parents were Jewish. And uh, accused by the Jews, as we go through the story, we know how he persecuted the Jews uh, or the Christians because he was a Pharisee type of a Jew. And, uh, but it got to the end where he became a Christian. And then he began to preach Christ, and that got him in trouble with his own national people, the Jewish people, and so they arrested him, and they put him on trial. And so he was being accused in his nation of being against the system because he was speaking Christ as the answer instead of the Jewish religion. So Paul went through the Jewish court systems thinking that he would not have a fair trial by the Jewish court systems because they would want to kill him like they did Jesus. He was a Roman citizen. And so he pulled the Roman citizen card out of his wallet and says, I appeal to Caesar. So now Paul has been transferred to Rome. And he's been there for a couple of years. He's waiting trial by Nero, the Roman emperor that's currently in jurisdiction. And so he's using his citizenship to get him out of the trials of the Jewish people who probably would have tried to kill him and got him before Nero using his citizenship. So that's important. Second, Paul is writing this letter from Rome the imperial seat of Roman citizenship, to the Philippian Christians, and Philippi, which I've emphasized before, is a Roman colony. Roman colony. We won't know this. We don't understand this. We don't see what difference does it make. But they will. A Roman colony is a piece of Rome in a foreign land, So her citizens, the citizens of Philippi, are bound to obey the Roman law instead of the provincial laws of Macedonia, which is the country where they live. So they're living in this foreign country, but they have been established as a Roman colony, and the Roman colonies were established throughout different lands and as they established them, they would put Roman soldiers in them, right? And the people in that town would live according to Roman laws as if they were in Rome, as if they were living under, in their own, well, uh, in the Roman land. But they were not. So the provincial governments of Macedonia, which other. Towns would have been under that authority. Had no say in Philippi. This is unique. Amongst Paul's writings. Because, do you get the significance of his word choice? The Philippians would have understood this significance immediately, where when he wrote to the Corinthians, or the Ephesians, or Colossians, or Thessalonians, these other cities, which were not Roman colonies, they would not have understood the word citizenship, and so he would use walk in the spirit, walk in faith, walk, walk, walk. They would understand that. But to these Roman colony citizens in Philippi, he uses the word, let your citizenship. They don't translate it that way to English because we don't understand the significance of it. So, we're talking about our conduct, the way we behave, or our conversation, the things we say. So, while these other letters that he wrote to had nothing to do with citizenship, this group did. And they would have got the significance that the Philippians were Roman citizens living in a foreign land, but they also had a counter-citizenship in a kingdom higher than even Rome, and that kingdom was the kingdom of Jesus Christ, living according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They may answer to Nero and the Roman legionnaires for their civic responsibilities, but these Christians in Philippi answered to a higher authority Jesus Christ and his ultimate eternal power and religion and belief system and kingdom. So when he uses the word citizenship, he's reminding them, you have privileges, you're living in a foreign land, but you have privileges as Roman citizens, but guess what? You are a citizen of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have privileges and responsibilities because you belong not to this world, but to another world. So now you begin to see how this is coming together. Citizenship is belonging. Paul is trying to reconstruct their Christian identity and their lifestyle. They are living in a foreign land, but they belonged to an eternal kingdom. They needed to begin to identify themselves, not just as Jews or as Macedonians or as Greeks or as Romans, but they needed to identify themselves by the King of kings and Lord of lords. They needed to identify themselves by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They needed to live according to the gospel. They needed to be explicitly obedient to God, their king. They were citizens. So in case there's any doubt, Paul returned to this unique word in chapter 3, verse 20. There's not chapters and verses when he wrote this, but we can look ahead where he says, our citizenship is in heaven. He hit him again with that word. So I want to point this out to you as we get started here, that Christians, in application, belong to a special (laughs) community, kingdom, if you will, Of people who have declared allegiance to the gospel of Christ. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold that you live in this community, you must act like a Brazil belly, or you live in Indiana, you must act like a Hoosier, or if you live in the United States, you must act like an American. No, that's not what we are. We are citizens that belong to the kingdom of heaven. Regardless of where you live, which is why somebody could read this in Peru, or somebody could read this in Botswana, or somebody can read this in in anywhere in the world, and they can say, Yes, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I live according to the gospel. I bow my knees before Christ. Amen. We belong, we are citizens. Don't let the world squeeze you into their mold. You do not belong in this world. You were made for better things. You are a citizen who belongs in another world. You are visiting here, working for your king, until it is time to go home. And the problem we have as Christians is we begin to think this is our home. This is our citizenship. This is where we belong. Don't let the world tell you this is where you belong. Don't let the world tell you that Trump is your king. Don't let the world tell you that the Congress is is the ruling body. Don't let the world tell you that this is all there is, folks. This is not all there is. There's somebody that supersedes all of that. He's bigger than Nero. He's stronger than anyone, any any dictator, any any person who's ever lived. He's bigger and better and greater and stronger than any of it. Amen. Citizenship means belonging. Number two, citizenship means obligations. These first two are the ones we got to drive home. The rest are important, but I just I just got to think about this. What does citizenship mean? There, there's a There's a sense in which it means, second, obligations. Citizenship means obligations. Not just belonging, but obligations. If you belong, you have obligations. If you join a church, you have obligations. If you join a a civic organization, you have obligations. Right? If your community has a homeowner association, there's supposedly obligations. You pay. For the things that they give back, supposedly, etc. Well, I don't know. You're keeping current on the news. If you saw my little post about this message, stuff's going on. There's, I guess, 400 or 4,000 people that are knocking down the gates and and the fences in Guatemala into the Mexican border. They want to come across to the United States and woo. There's a great debate going on in America about illegal immigrants. It's been going on for quite a while. Our country was formed by immigrants. So that's the whole idea of the one side, just let people in because that's how we started. Let anybody in. But there came a day when our country was organized, our constitution was adopted, and citizenship was established, and we set up an organization and a structure, and we said, okay, this is what it takes, and this is how we're going to live, and this is our language, and this is our culture, and this is our customs, and Washington, D.C. is our capital, right? All that got established and put in place, so there is a proper procedure now in place in order for immigrants to become citizens of the United States, right? Right? There's a proper way. If you want to be an immigrant and you want to come to the United States, people go through this process all the time. It may take a little while, but you can get there. But many people, however, have chosen to enter our country without going through the proper channels. And many of them are good people. They just haven't been told this is the proper way to do it. And they haven't bothered with the proper way to do it. Many of them just want to work. They just want to support their families. I've met some of them. Some of them get green cards and come over here and they work. But they're not citizens of our country. And a lot of them want to go back or they send their money back. And I understand all of that. But they're not citizens. There's a difference. Right? They have not met the obligations for citizenship. There's obligations. And in my opinion, when you don't meet the obligations, you shouldn't have a driver's license. When you haven't met the obligations, you shouldn't vote. When you haven't met the obligations, you should be deported when you mess up. When you haven't met the obligations, you do not get the privileges. And some illegals are here solely for the purpose of causing chaos, and some are here totally for the purpose of committing crime, like the MS-13 gang whose motto is to kill, to rape, and destroy, and control. They are here for the purpose not to fit into the government of the United States and the Constitution of the United States or to fit into the citizenship of the United States. They're here to cause trouble for people in the United States. Kill, rape, control through fear. I don't need them here. They're not citizens. They don't care about our values. They don't care about our laws. They're here to cause chaos and get by with it as much as they can. They are foreign anarchists. They have no ruling authority over them, who act like terrorists, who are trying to destroy us from within because they don't really buy into the American dream. They buy into American chaos. And it was shocking for me to hear this week, and I heard it by one of those mothers whose children, child, I think it was a son, got killed by an illegal immigrant who then got released again. And she made this statement, and so I looked it up. 4,380 Americans are killed annually by illegal immigrants, which is 12 a day. And we think we don't have a problem. And because these are not citizens who do the killing... They are not bound by our laws. Our laws don't apply, so they find a loophole which gets them back out on the streets where they can do it again and again because they are not citizens. They are not bound by our laws. We release them into the streets again. After they've murdered one of our own. Now, if you've been following this, this is building because we want to be tolerant, and they focus in on the the wives and the children and how they get separated at the border, and so we're going to abolish ICE and we're going to destroy all this stuff. And I'm just preaching a little bit because common sense tells me there's something to citizenship. Citizenship has privileges and obligations. And if they're not willing to go through the process to be speaking our language and going to our schools and living our way, and, and they're living instead off of us without doing their proper due respect to what we respect, which is the Constitution of the United States. And I don't want to get it political, but the question begs to be raised, what does our citizenship mean if Americans are not protected from illegal crimes committed by illegal criminals. And I hope you care enough about our country to vote in this election for candidates who support the rights of citizens over the rights of illegals. Just my political statement, but I think that's very important because we have somewhere lost common sense on this issue. Because citizenship brings obligations, and these people have no obligations. They do whatever they want, and we say, what can we do? We have no laws that govern illegals because they're not citizens, which means for the same crime I would go to jail, that they're set free. It only makes sense that an American citizen should live in such a way as to be a participant in the betterment of their town, their county, their state, their nation. It is my obligation as a citizen to do something for the betterment of my nation, my city, my area of influence. What do you think I'm doing here? Why am I paying my taxes? I am here for the betterment of this community. So are you. We're citizens. We produce. We help. We educate. We work. We provide products. We provide jobs. Why do we work jobs? It's to provide a service to help our community. We need a baker and we need a candlestick maker, right? And a butcher. The butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. That's a rhyme. That's why it came to my mind. We need these people. And they contribute to our society. People don't understand, without the farmers, what would we eat? We contribute, without the teachers, who would learn? They contribute, and on and on it goes. Every part is so important, and the churches, we contribute as well, amen. All of us are doing our part. And so it makes sense that I, as an American citizen, should do stuff for the betterment of my country And the punchline comes, I, as a Christian, should be living my life under the direction of Christ my Lord, according to the gospel that I read, in order to what? Make this world a better place. Make my community a better place. Make my county, my state, my country a better country. Amen. I'm only here to influence one way or the other. And as a citizen of Jesus Christ, I am here to work for Jesus Christ. It is my obligation. It is your obligation as a Christian to do what I can for the betterment of my world for Jesus. That's my obligation. I'm a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the gospel is more than a message to believed. This is where Christians stop. Oh, I believe in this book. It's a message to believed. Then we stop there because it's more than a message to believe. It is God's revealed will that we need to live and obey. Don't just believe it. Live it. Christians should live according to the gospel of Christ just as Americans should live according to the Constitution of the United States. Obey the rules. Live according to the laws. If it's there, Let's live it. Now, it is sad that there are some Christian adults who don't even read the Bible. Uh, It's confusing. I don't understand it. This is what we live by. It's more than just what we believe. This is how I live. So I better start reading it. Well, it's all confusing and so on. I understand that. If you're brand new to the Bible, it is confusing. So instead of just starting anywhere, I'll tell you where to start. If you find the Bible confusing, start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read them for a few years. How long ever it takes, just read them over and over and over and over and over again. If you're a guy, start with Mark, because it's the short version. It's only 16 chapters. It's abbreviated. And you'll get the nut, you know, without having all the fluff. Right? If you're a gal, start with Luke, because you'll love it. It's Jesus in a manger, and all the angels are coming, and they're singing, and they're touchy-feely, all right? And it was written by your favorite doctor, for all things, so I mean, you know, can't go wrong, women, get to Luke, guys, get to Mark, read it, and read it, and read it, and read it. And then you'll start spreading out to Matthew and John and some of the others. Guys, you'll like John as well because it's very logical. And when you get to Matthew, Matthew will start getting you tied into the Old Testament because he does a lot of Old Testament quotes because he is, he is from the Jewish perspective. And he's trying to tie in how Jesus fit in with all the Old Testament stuff. But they tell you the same stories. It's really pretty cool. I'm so glad God gave us four different versions of the same event from four different perspectives because they really help you to find one that you really like, and you really get into it and begin to say, yes, this speaks to me. Amen? And so, as a Christian, we should have no excuse. We need to get into this and begin to dig in and find out what Jesus did and what Jesus said and how Jesus led and what Jesus taught and how Jesus lived this life. And if we can start pattering ourselves after Jesus and we won't find the gospels boring or confusing. It really begins to nail down for us what the Christian life is all about. And when you get those Jesus stories down really good, then you begin to spread out a little bit more going in both directions. And that's okay. But please, if you're a Christian... Get into the Constitution. Get into the main book that defines our life in Christ. Your citizenship of the gospel of Christ. That's what Paul is calling us to citizenship. And there are obligations. There are more obligations for Christians, a lot more. But that's the place you must begin, right here, the gospel of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Why does he emphasize that? You gotta be worthy of the gospel of Christ because we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Is your life worthy? That's obligations. We have to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Citizenship means obligations. The other three go a little faster, but man, I just you've got to get into this. Don't let the devil give you excuses as to why you will not read the Bible. No, don't listen to him. This is your life. This is your roadmap through life. This is your purpose. This is your plan. And it's all centered on Jesus. Then you can branch out. Like Paul, he writes about him all the time. Wait until we get to chapter 2. <laughs> Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. And he tells the story. Oh, my. All right. Three, citizenship means loyalty. Loyalty. Paul continued his theme in verse 27 that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, the constitution. (laughs) So Christian citizens need to be united in our efforts. One faith, one body, one spirit, one mind. How many times does Paul nail that down in his writings? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We need to be loyal to the faith of the gospel, the faith of of the gospel. Again, if you don't know what the Bible teaches, then how can you be united in one spirit and one mind with other Christians working together in God's kingdom for the faith of the gospel? But Paul wrote something else that I, I would catch my attention in between. He says, "Be such a Christian citizen so that whether I come," he says, and see you, or whether I am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you work together in one faith, one mind for the faith of the gospel. So Paul wanted to come and observe these Christians in action. He wanted to make another trip past Philippi. But he wasn't sure he was going to make it. He might be executed when he gets before Nero. He had a trial and execution facing him. He was hoping, he was planning, he felt like he was going to be able to come back by. But if he couldn't make it, he wanted to hear that they were being loyal to the gospel. He said, whether I'm absent or whether I actually see you, I want to hear that you're faithful to the gospel, that you're loyal to the gospel. Now, I can get a thought going in my mind. Unfortunately, much of human behavior has been determined by who is around us. Speeding down Highway 70. And you know in that curve in Highway 70 between here and Terre Haute, there's a cross. And who's always sitting there? It's called a state trooper. And he likes to do that, especially back when the construction thing was going on at the next exit, right? And he'd sit there because the instruction signs were up. And he'd be waiting for the, and what happens when we see the state trooper? We gas it further, don't we? No, you back off. Hope he doesn't see your taillights. And look in the rearview mirrors, you go by and say, Whew. Why is it when you're in the classroom And the kids are not paying attention and throwing spit wads and everything. All of a sudden there's this knock on the door and a certain principal walks in and all of a sudden everybody's... Right? Paying attention and acting, taking notes and oh boy. And I also used an illustration of when the pastor comes to the house. Now wait a minute, pastor. Turn the channel and... Put some things over here. (laughs) Dust off the Bible. (sighs) Put it in a prominent place. Open up to your favorite verse. So we determine a lot of our human behavior by who comes around, right? Christian, why? Because we're afraid of getting caught we're talking about loyalty christian citizenship means that you are loyal to christ regardless of whether paul comes to philippi or doesn't right says if i'm absent i want to hear that you're serving the lord and faithful to to the gospel but if I come, I want to see that you're faithful to the gospel. So it's not that uh, the leadership has to come around to make sure that we're Christians. We don't have to have somebody coming around and looking over our shoulder to see if we're loyal or not. We should be loyal all the time. Not just when we see the state police. Not just when the principal comes to the door. If we're a Christian... We're a Christian. We don't have to adjust on Sunday morning. Oh, i got to turn off my week vocabulary and turn on my weekend vocabulary. I'm going to church. You put on your suit coat and you put on your new name and new face and your new attitude that's not what he's talking about he says whether i'm there or whether i'm absent i want you to have faith in the gospel of jesus christ i want you to be the same i want you to be loyal i want you to have it i want you to live it every day every hour christianity is not an act You put on when you're at church and forget the rest of the week. Christianity is a lifestyle that you live regardless of who is around or where you are going or what you are doing or how you are driving or where you are, right? Who, what, where, when, why, how. It doesn't matter. You're a Christian every time, every day, even at your house, even to your spouse, even with your kids or the grandkids or the parents. You are a Christian At school, at work, at Walmart, when you're driving. (laughs) Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's what you were doing, right? You were just... You're going to honk them a little Jesus Loves You tune. You need to switch your horn over. Buy one of those tunes that it plays. And when you remind you, oh, yeah, Jesus loves me. All right, okay. It's a lifestyle you live regardless. So are you going to be loyal to Christ or not? That's pretty good preaching, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Citizenship means loyalty to Christ. Citizenship means, number four, privileges. And I don't need to spend a lot of time here because as a Roman citizen, Paul had privileges that took him above the Jewish law and their court system and jurisdiction and moved him into the Roman citizenship where he had a different court system. And when they beat him, he said, why did you beat me? Because I was a Roman citizen, which are not allowed to be beaten in the Roman Empire. He pulled that card out. And they come, oh boy, we're in trouble now. And they were. Because he had the privileges. And as American Christians, we have privileges to legally drive and to legally vote and to do other things that non-citizens do not have the right, in my opinion, to do. Privileges. And as Christian citizens, we have privileges as well. Verse 28, he wrote about two eternal destinations, that the sinner's life is a proof of perdition, which is eternal punishment. Whereas the Christian's life is proof of their salvation, eternal life in heaven, the ultimate Christian privilege. Amen. We have the ultimate Christian privilege of going to heaven. (laughs) That's a pretty good one. But there are many more. We are privileged to call God our Father. We have privileged to have Jesus die for our sins. We are privileged to have daily help and encouragement and empowerment by the Holy Spirit. We are privileged to have instant access to God anytime anywhere through prayer. We are privileged to have examples uh, or access of God's will in the Bible. We are privileged to learn from the examples of other Christians, both in the Bible and in our lives. We are privileged to receive fellowship and encouragement from our Christian friends, and they even pray for us. We have many, many privileges. Christian citizenship means privileges. And so we need to take advantage of them. I'll tell people About membership, I said, well, one of the things you have as a membership in the church is you get the privilege of voting. You can even vote your pastor out if you want. The rest of you can't. So, I mean, membership has its privileges. You get to serve on boards and stuff, too. Anyway, that is part of the privileges that come with membership. Citizenship has privileges. Number five, citizenship means opposition. Paul mentioned that the Philippian Christians had adversaries in verse 28. In fact, a lot of this section is about the suffering and the struggling and a lot of the book of Philippians is about that. We've already mentioned it. Paul writing from his chains. He's establishing the fact he's in prison. He's suffering. And he suffered when he came to Philippi to evangelize it. He was put in prison there. He was beaten. And there in the jail, he and Silas began to sing. And the earthquake came and freed him. And the jailer got saved and his family and washed his his back, the stripes, and cleaned him up and put salve in there and Straighten up their life. And so we have this theme of suffering, both in Paul's life and now to these Philippians who are living in a Roman colony where emperor worship was part of the process. Citizenship means opposition because they had adversaries. And you want to know something? God has enemies. So, Christians have enemies. And when you have enemies, it brings opposition. If there are citizens, then there are non citizens. Non citizens do not belong, and often they cause trouble for the citizens and even might fight against the citizens to harm them, such as MS 13 and so on. They're here to harm us, they don't care about building our nation. They don't care about producing a product to help others. They're here to destroy. What are Christian citizens to do when we are faced with opposition? And I plan to spend more time on this topic next week. So I would just mention this morning that if you are a citizen of the kingdom of Christ, then you can expect opposition. That's part of the citizenship. Because if you belong to Christ and there's people living around you who do not belong to Christ, they don't always look kindly upon the fact that you are a Christian. Because they see the way you live and it reminds them that they are still serving Satan. And they don't like to be reminded that they are in chains and that there are slaves to sin, when they can be free to be slaves to God. So you can expect opposition from others who don't believe as you do if you are a Christian citizen. So today, we are emphasizing Christian citizenship. Paul's main theme in this letter is, pay attention, live out your citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In fact, to remind you of this, if you had a pencil, you could just put there in that sentence, conduct, you put off to the side, citizenship, and to remind you of all that that we've been saying this morning, because that's exactly the word that he is using. So whenever you read this, again, you go, oh yeah, citizen, I belong to the kingdom of heaven. And the cross. Now, too many modern Americans who are Christians have been falsely swayed to think, and we teach this separately in courses and classes at at Bible colleges and even our seminaries, that we take a theology class and then you take an ethics class. And so we as American Christians have believed that there's theology and there's ethics, there's our beliefs about God, and then there's the way that we live. And Paul, in in his mindset, there was no separation between theology and ethics. There's no separation between what I believe and what I live. If I'm a citizenship, I, I, I not only believe in Jesus Christ, but I live for Jesus Christ. He's He's teaching us that Christ's death and resurrection must be lived out in every Christian's personal life. It's not just Good Friday and Easter and put that in a box. No, it is daily. Jesus died. How does that affect me? Jesus rose again. How does that affect my life? How do I live today? Because of Jesus. Jesus. Yes, our Christian beliefs are important, but what is the benefit to the world if we keep Christ hidden behind the walls of our sanctuary? This is my belief. We come here, and every Sunday morning, we nod our heads and say amen to our beliefs. But what happens when we exit the sanctuary? Do we live what we believe? Does it affect the way we look and the way we act and the places we go and the things that we do and how we act and react to life? Are we any different than anybody else out there? That's the question that Paul is grappling with. I think for the Philippians, he would have taken it in as they go together. They're two wings on the plane. You believe, you do. Try to fly with one. Whichever one you want. Some people, they forget the beliefs. We've, we're so good at the beliefs, we've been doing beliefs for 50, 60, 70 years here. I was going to say 100 years, but most, most of you aren't that old. But the church is almost 100 years old. And so this has, been, this has been going on. We do good on beliefs, but what are we doing about living it out in the world? Every day. The greatest need in our time is for individual Christians to answer God's call to live out the gospel visibly and authentically in his or her own town and community. Today's question is, are you living like a Christian citizen Out in your community. He's pinching the baby again. (laughs) Are you living like a Christian in your community? We believe it. Are we living it? And I'm asking you as your pastor, after a conversation with Mary... It's on my heart. It's on her heart. It's on other people's hearts. After what Barb said last Sunday, other people feel in the same way. I'm asking you as a pastor to begin to pray and then begin to have a conversation with other Christians in this church because we need to find ways to intentionally take Jesus outside of the sanctuary. And not just what we believe, but what do we live. I struggle with this as you struggle with this because all my friends are Christians. We're going to have to find ways and start the conversation. How do we do this? And begin to pray and ask God, how do we do this? So that three or four of you women and three or four of you guys can get together somehow and live Jesus. Right? Right? in our community because some of them come but most of them will not we grew up I grew up that you open the doors of the church people would come that's no longer the case we have to go that's the Great Commission our culture in America made it easy It's never been the culture of the world for everybody to come to church. It was the culture of go. That's what Jesus did to his disciples. That's what he did to the 70. That's what he told the 120. I mean, it's always been go, 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 go. Make disciples. Baptizing them, teaching them. They didn't even have church. They got enough people together, they started a church. In America, we did that. Circuit riding preachers. Right around the country, some went to the Indians, some of them got killed, some of them went to these towns, they built a church, had to compete with the the cowboys shooting it up, but they brought people to Jesus. We sent out missionaries, you read their stories, they'd live in that community for a while, make friends, and eventually tell someone about Jesus and start a church. We in America have been a Christian nation since the beginning, just about. We have in God we trust on our coins and the Constitution was founded, the Pledge of Allegiance in God, one nation under God. I mean, this has been part of who we were. We were called a Christian nation, and so we just expected people to come, and we're getting to an age now where people are not coming, and nor do they intend to come unless there's a crisis. Unless they need a handout. So we're going to have to have this conversation and this prayer. Lord, how do I and a couple of my friends reach out and live Jesus? We have the answer. (laughs) that our town needs. His name is Jesus. And most of the sinners will not come to our church, so we must find ways to take Christ to the sinner and live out the gospel where they can see it, which is what Youth for Christ is doing. They go to the school. This is her illustration. Because the teens don't want to come to church. Go to the school. Share Jesus there. So go to the... Where do you like to hang out? Take a couple Christian friends and tackle somebody! (laughs) Right? And bring them to Christ over time. Building a friendship and a relationship with them. Let's start the conversation because we need God's vision What is God laying on your heart? You just pray a while. God, what are you laying on my heart? What do you want me to do? How can I do this? How can I become not only what I believe, but what I live? Let's pray about it. Let's talk about this. What can a group of us do to reach sinners in our community? Let's allow God to show us the best ways that we can go out into the world and lead a sinner to Jesus Christ, and then maybe they'll come to church. But that's not the ultimate reason. We want them to come to Jesus so they can experience what we have experienced. So it's family altar time. Why don't we pray about this? That's the place to begin. And thanks, Barb, for your words and other people for their words of encouragement. Mary, for her words coming by this week. And others, you're feeling it, right? Beginning to sense this is more than just what's in here. We've got to take this out there. And Jesus has oh, no hands and no feet but ours, no smile but yours. Because my smile doesn't work too well. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. This is what he uses. Your voice, your way. As the praise team comes, let me just pause. Lord, we just invite you right now at this moment. Send your spirit to speak to our hearts, to continue to speak as you have been speaking to many in our congregation about what Paul has been telling us to do, that we've got to get the message out there. In his culture, it would have been obvious, because that's what Paul did. He took the message out there. That was his life. But in our culture, we've got to switch the way we think. And so we pray that you'll help us as we as we talk to you today about it. What do you vision for us? What can we begin to do? What do you see us doing? As we go out to our various civic responsibilities and activities and life, how can we intentionally begin? To live Jesus in front of others. Lord, make this conversation happen amongst us, we pray. Start it this morning. May it be a discussion in the Sunday school rooms. May it become a part of who we are. It's not just our children's and teens' ministries that we bust kids in. But what are we doing out there? We've got to do more. Thank you, Lord, for what we're already doing. I don't want to put a damper on any of that. It's amazing. Thank you, Lord, for every Bible study, every prayer group, every Sunday school class, every effort that's being made for this bus and this this ministry. Thank you. But Lord, there's a lot of people who aren't involved in that ministry who could do something else. Start it in us, Lord Jesus. Jesus' name, amen. As you stand together, come and pray about this. Sit in the front row, kneel at an altar, start a conversation in your heart to God in prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? Some Nazarenes meet in restaurants, some at motorcycle shops, some at other locations. So they can get around sinners and share the good news. Mary meets at the school. She could use some help. Let's begin to have a conversation and a prayer, Lord. What do you want us to do? Where can we go? Two or three of us can gather in your name. You'll be in the midst of us, and there we can let Jesus' light shine. So, Lord, that's what we're praying today our places of business our homes our community more than just our church we need to reflect Jesus Lord help us to know what to do help us to know how to live it to live for him who died for me and Lord we pray that you will help even our seniors to know how can we do this there's some senior community centers there's some places where people hang out. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But I know that there is unsaved people all over. Even in our nursing homes. Even in our hospitals. Even down our streets. And in our neighborhoods. There are people who need Jesus. Guide us, Lord. Begin to think strategically. Show us what we can do. There are families, their communities, there's elementary students, there's junior high, high school students that need Jesus. <laughs> there's young adults. Everyone from all ages. Show me, show my people, show your people, Lord, what we can do. Lord, we want to pray for those that have been through surgeries, a couple of them this week. Pray for those, Lord, that are making decisions, that have financial needs, that have physical needs. There's family and relationship needs. There's a lot of people hurting because of weather. So many storms, so much stuff going on. There's just a lot of things in the world to pray about. There's election coming up. There's just... Stuff everywhere, a lot of concerns, but Lord, our eyes are upon you. We've put our eyes on you, whether we live or die. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Lord, our focus is upon Jesus, because you're going to take care of us, and you're going to help us. And we've got to get this focus and this message out to the world because they think dying is, is terrible. They think living for Christ is terrible. They don't understand. So, Lord, we want to take the message that we go through the same problems they do, except we go through them with Jesus by our side. And, Lord, we, with God, all things are possible. And with God, everything becomes... <laughs> Old things are passed away. All things become new. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So we worship you now, the remainder of this service. Be in our worship. Be in our worship, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.